Let me invite you now to open your Bibles to Psalm 20. The 20th Psalm is ascribed to David. It will be our text for the morning. Psalm 20. Hear now as we read God's Word together. May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with the saving power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. The reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you would open our eyes to the reality of your trustworthiness. In Jesus' name, amen. There are things in life that you just have to worship your way out of. There are things in life that you just have to worship your way out of. Personally, I've been through some tough things. I know that you have too. Uh, That's a part of living in a fallen world. That's just the way it is uh, as people uh, all seek their own way and are bumping up against each other and all the the noise and static and pushing and pulling and things happen. But I have uh, at certain times in my life found things that are just simply beyond what I can do. And God actually at those times is, is being good to me. Because there are other times when you think maybe you can just handle it, you know? Maybe you can just line up the things you need to line up to, to get done what you need to get done so your, your life will work the way it needs to work and, and you'll have some peace and you'll be able to do what, what needs to happen. And, and, that's, and after all, that's what life's about, to kind of clear everything out of the way, make it peaceful, make it okay. Well, that's, that's not what life's about. And, and, and the Lord loves us and, and He's working all things the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And during those times in my life when it's just way beyond me, what happens is, is God takes me back to a, a more simple and intimate place with him where I can say, God, I, I can't do this. and I don't know where to turn, but, but I accept you because I know that you're God and you're my God. I'm just sorry I haven't come before now. To, uh, to talk to you about this. And, and those are actually beautiful things. This is what David is talking about here in Psalm 20. David is talking about gaining a heart for worship. Gaining a sense of intimacy and praise and acknowledgement of God's trustworthiness. Gaining a heart for worship and, and what that means in our lives and what that means in the world. Through our lives as we trust God. Have you ever gotten to the place where uh, you've realized that prayer and worship are all you've got? Yeah. How does this sound? How does it sound to you of being with God and pouring out 
praises about who he is. And, and not only being with God and pouring out praises about who he is, but listen to this, but also thanking him for the relationship that you have with who he is in all his greatness, in all his power, in all his sovereignty, in all his wonder. How does that sound to you? How does this sound to you? Being with God, praising him, affirming the need of this relationship, and pouring your heart out to a father who loves you. God of open ear who always wants to hear from you and loves to answer prayer. I guess maybe you could, you could, you could ask what I'm trying to get at this way. Do you have a heart this morning, I mean, that needs God? Do you have a heart that needs God? Uh, do you have a heart that feels secure in the presence of God so that you would want to be with him and, and, and share that closeness with God? Do you have a heart that desires the presence of God and the power of God to work in you and through you? You know, Jesus was sent by the Father because we are cut off from God. Our, our sin, God's holiness, there's no relationship there and we can't change our own hearts and and so God so loved the world. You know, we know that, that famous verse. And what Jesus did was he took our sins upon him. And he was punished in our place by a holy God. Removing the, the problem between us and God. Brokering a close relationship with him. I love in the book of Hebrews where it says that Jesus was our high priest. is our high priest. And, you know, all the sacrifices, all those years in the temple, Jesus went in and once and for all sacrificed not the, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. He sacrificed his own blood. God sacrificed his own son once and for all so that it's finished. So when we put our trust in what Jesus has done, we now have this intimate relationship with him. He sprinkled his own blood on the mercy seat, just like the priest used to sprinkle the blood of the lambs to cover over sin, God's own blood. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he reigns, and we know him. Is this amazing? And we know him, and he loves us through the grace of his Son, Jesus Christ, if you've put your trust in Christ. Where are you? with worship this morning. I know we're all going through things in our lives. That's just the way life is. We're all going through things. Some are harder sometimes than other times. That's the, the constant. That's the given. Here's the question. We're all going through things, but we're not all worshipers. What do we do with it? Are you a worshiper? David teaches us in this psalm this simple sentence, worshipers trust and worshipers triumph. Say that after me, worshipers trust and worshipers triumph. You know, he begins with the notion, the whole psalm is, is predicated on an assumption of powerful, committed worship of God. The assumption is of a worshiper. May the Lord, if you look at our psalm in verse 1, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. 
hear these words, may he send help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. What's that about? That's about worship. That's about David being with God and David leading God's people in worship. You know, I remember when I was a a brand new believer, when I was 19 and a half years old, I never realized the holiness of God. And therefore, I never realized the depths of my sin. And so I was always like making deals. I always thought I could make it work, you know, by being good. And, And if I wasn't quite good enough that week, I could make up for it. It was just this big game in my head. And somebody shared with me the gospel, and I realized that God really is that glorious and transcendent God of majesty and holiness, and there's just no way that I'm cut off from him. And that's why God literally had to send his son to die. That's how much God loves us. And I put my trust in the Lord, and the the thing that happened was, was God was just so big to me suddenly. And he was so powerful, and he could do anything. And you know how I knew that? Because he had saved me. Because he made my whole life new, and, and, and I just never realized that that was even a possibility. I was stuck being religious my whole life until he saved me through Jesus and gave me an entire new life. And, and I, just, I just knew that ultimately he was going to work things for good in my life because he was God. And, and I knew him. I, I, I knew that it would, it would finally be okay in my life, and and that God would glorify himself. David had that sense when he wrote this psalm. David had that sense when he was a young man. Today, I would like to contrast two Davids. There are actually two Davids presented in the Bible. They're the same person, by the way. There's young David, and there's the middle-aged guy named David. And there is a great difference between young David and the middle-aged David. David had a sense of of the, the, the closeness and the greatness of God. In fact, David was known for one thing when he was young above all else. You know what that was? It was not his skill as a shepherd. It was not what a good marksman he was with a, a, a rock. He was known for worship. David would just play his harp to God. David would write poetry out of his love for God. We call them now the Psalms. David would put that poetry to music and just so sweetly just trust in the Lord his God. And let me tell you, God and David were very close. A man after God's own heart. And that's what David was known for. And in fact, that is why when the giant Goliath stepped out behind the Philistine lines and everybody shrunk back in terror and nobody knew what to do, it was out of worship that David stepped forward and said, what's your problem? How dare you, you Philistine, insult the Lord God, the Lord of Israel? Does nobody else understand who this is that we worship? This this is nothing that God can't handle in a month. Let me come forward. I'll show you God's power. That's exactly what he did. Here's some armor. I don't need the armor. This isn't about me. And he slew Goliath. And, And it was out of this heart for worship and this closeness with God, this amazing trust 
for 15 or so years, David ran for his life from the king of Israel, Saul, who's trying to kill him all the time. How exhausted must David have been running from his own king? But you know, he's writing psalms during that period of time. He's trusting in the Lord, and he and his band of mighty men, Saul and his whole army, is no match for God. That is why David, when he sat on the throne in Jerusalem as a young man, was able to rule so wisely and well. And that is why David won and led in victory battle after battle after battle. In fact, this psalm right here, once it was written, once David put it into music, it became a liturgy for all the kings of Israel later. When you went into battle, this was what you sung. This is what you sung. It's fascinating. There is a connection between worship and the challenge. Do you have a heart like the younger David? I'll explain the older David in a second. I, uh, I began to mentor a younger pastor about a year ago who just became the pastor of a somewhat large church with lots of history. We talk on the telephone. We meet from time to time. He had, and that was my life too when I was 35 years old. He had, he had that, that deer in the headlight look just like I did. And um, he said, what advice do you have for me? And, you know, he probably was surprised by the advice I gave him. In fact, I think I was surprised by the advice that I gave him. Have you ever noticed when you want to do God's will, God will really show up? When you really want to do what God wants you to do for the right reasons, the Lord will give you the words. The Lord will show you. And so I said, well, here's, here's the thing. I said, look, don't become someone else. Whatever you do, don't become someone else. Don't try to make it all happen. Be like David when he was just, I mean, isn't the reason, hopefully the reason they want you to be their pastor is because you just really love the Lord. And you really love the kingdom. And you really love the people. You just be that guy. And let God grow you out of that intimacy of worship. Don't be like the the middle-aged David. The younger David, his life is marked by passion for worship. What about the middle-aged David? He's different, isn't he? You know what his life's marked by? His his life is, is marked by thinking about what it means to be the king. And all the rights and privileges that come with being the king. You see somebody's wife. And you can steal their wife. And then you can kill their husband because you're the king. We come a long way from playing that little harp. On the run for your life. Trusting in God. Till we get to the middle age, David, and, and, I, and I told this young man, I said, you just keep worshiping God. You just stay intimate with God. You keep playing your heart. You be younger, David. And of course, when you tell people something like that, suddenly you realize, Joseph, or if you said it, it's time for you to heed your own advice. Oh, God struck me to the core. I'm middle-aged. Joseph, you be the younger Find that worship that is the core of your existence. And that, is, that has been something that I have been praying a lot about in the last year and 
and trying to, to walk in with ups and downs, of course. Worship is the core of our life. It's what we'll do mainly in heaven forever. Worship informs who we are and, and, and makes us see the reality of what actually is, that God is greater than everybody else. I want you to look at verse 2 as we just look at at this worship. May he send you help from the sanctuary. That literally means may God meet you with what you need because of worship. There is a connection between the sanctuary, between worship, and the challenge. And then look at verse 3. May he also remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Now this is great because... Without verse 3, we might could read this psalm is, when you get in trouble, that's when you need to pray. Look, I, I'm, telling, I'm trying to trigger our need for God by highlighting what often brings us to God. That is not what is being said. In fact, verse 3, basically what is being said in the psalm is, is may God remember the fact that you have loved him and walked with him and worked. May he remember all of your sacrifices. In other words, it isn't that David just shows up because there's an army on the border. David loves to be in the house of God. David has been giving sacrifices. He's not worshiping only in distress, but look, we worship when we're in distress. This is about a heart for worship. And we can have an intimate relationship with God. You know, when we talk about the Christian life, we have certain metaphors. What's, what's the main metaphor that we use? Walk. Have you ever noticed that? He walks with God. How is your walk with God? I love the term walk. Because it's, you know what walk's about? It's, it's about continuity. Without walking... You know what you do without walking? You stay in bed. You don't have a life. I mean, you can't go. You can't move. Walking, it means wherever you go, God is with you. Develop a walk with God is to develop a heart for worship, to be in the presence of God, to be consumed more with God, to get the perspective on what's real and what is not as powerful as God you see, it's a, a walk with God. May God remember all your sacrifices, the continuity of your walk with God. So worshipers, that's the first thing. But remember, it's worshipers will trust. Worshipers will trust. And look at verse 7. I mean, this is kind of the memory verse of this passage. A lot of people remember, memorize this when they were little, if they went to Sunday school. Some trust in chariots, others in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. They will be brought to their knees and fall, but we will rise up and stand firm. Worshippers trust. In case you didn't know it, and I think you do know it, trials, challenges, reveal who we really are. here's the reason why trials reveal who we really are because they reveal who we're really trusting or what we're really trusting it's interesting isn't it this psalm used in battle before a, a, a before a great war others trust in horses others trust in chariots not us we will trust 
in the name of the Lord our God. What you trust reveals your heart. There are lots of things in our modern life, at least, that we're tempted to trust in. I mean, they're all good things. They're all usable. They all have a place. You know, I'm not suggesting you've got to be a hermit or something. You know, we're reformed. We like to get out in the world. We like to put it all under the lordship and see it work, all of it, for the glory of God, right? So, but there are a lot of things we can trust in. Um, what are, what, I mean, what is the deal about horses and chariots? I mean, a modern person, if you don't know what this is about, you might go, why would someone trust in a horse or a chariot? You mean like Ben-Hur? Yeah, just like Ben-Hur, in fact, with, with the big horses and the big chariots. You need to go back into that culture to realize what this means. Horses and chariots, there's no sense having a chariot without a horse, that's the reason. Horses and chariots is all about speed. It's kind of early blitzkrieg warfare. Horses and chariots were the super weapons of that day. They were the weapons of mass destruction. M, no, WMD. They were the WMD, the weapons of mass destruction of that particular time. I mean, here you've got all these foot soldiers with spears and arrows, and here come people at 22 miles an hour, whatever a horse can do. I've never clocked a horse, but, you know, here comes a horse at 22 miles an hour, let's say, with these fixed spears, and they're just ripping through your line. These people are shielded by that chariot. There is nothing you can do about it. You just better get out of the way or try to kill that guy in the chariot before he turns around and rides back through. You've seen those World War II movies where the, where the enemy comes down and strafes, you know, and, and air just kills everything in his way. Drops a bomb, and you're, you're, they go through, and, and then they're turning around. And you're, you're in the, watching the movie, and you say, oh, no, they're coming back. And, they're, and let me tell you, they came back and back and back until the entire army was annihilated. Well, we think of the Israelites taking on the Philistines and the Syrians in particular later. We think, well, you know, all these people were evenly matched. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. The Philistines had chariots. When they went across the Jordan River, the children of Israel had none. The Philistines always had bronze chariots. David acquired them. Never more than his enemies. And the Syrians were the ones known to be the best horsemen in that area and the most fierce chariot warriors in that area. And that is why it says some put their trust in horses and others in chariots. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Let me tell you something. God is greater than horses. He is greater than chariots. Pharaoh had some chariots, didn't he? Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. How many chariots did they have? Tell me. Zero. They're right there by the Red Sea. Here comes the chariots. Most of the Egyptian chariots. I mean, if you've seen the movie, there's a big cloud of dust coming up behind those chariots wheels. God opens the sea. The children of Israel walk through. Down come those chariots. You've seen this, right? Down come come those chariots into the the seabed of the Red Sea. God closes up the sea. Guess what? Chariots don't do real well. They don't swim real well at all. In fact, 
recently there were divers, kind of treasure hunters, in the last 10 years have discovered several bronze chariot wheels from that period of time on the bottom of the Red Sea. Yes, they are still there, and they do match the archaeological findings of what chariot wheels of the pharaohs looked like at that time. Because you don't, you put your trust in God, not chariots. Worshippers will trust. What are the chariots and the horses that you would put your trust in? They're not worthy of your trust. The biggest, baddest, most effective thing in the world will be drowned in a moment by God. So, worshipers, this whole thing's predicated on, on someone consumed with worship. Worshipers trust. But thirdly, worshipers will triumph. Verse 5, we will shout for joy when you are victorious. And we will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He answers him from his holy heaven with saving power at his right hand, which is a metaphor for strength. They are brought down to their knees and fall. We rise up and stand firm. O Lord, save the king. Answer him. Answer us when we call. Finally, Ultimately, everything that is not aligned with God and his purposes will be brought down in this world. You just write it down. I know it's hard to see that because there's so many chariots and horses riding around. And there's so many people that are powerful and beautiful and whatever the and, and fast, you know, sports, whatever the icons of our culture are telling us that that's really the, you know, what will deliver real life to us. They won't. Do you realize, and this is hard for me, I think it's hard for anybody in 2010, that there's hardly anything in your life and my life that's worth much at all that's quick. Let me say that again. There's hardly anything in our lives that's worth much at all that's quick and things don't happen quickly you cannot outsmart God you cannot do an end run around God you cannot make up your own rules for what will triumph and God honor it if it's not what God has revealed in his holy word it will not work. Those who do not trust in God, those who trust in chariots and in horses, will stumble and fall. Listen to the words. They're actually spiritual in nature. It's not just stumbling. Verse 8, they are brought to their knees before God. They are brought to their knees and fall. We rise up and stand firm. That process is not always apparent to the eye as you're watching the way our culture in this world is turning, but it is very apparent from heaven and from God who has the long view. It is always in process. 
And it is always true. It is true this morning. And I'll give you a great example. Um, How about celebrities? I'll pick on celebrities only because they're like the most important people in our culture, right? I don't know why they're the most important people in our culture. They haven't really given us anything of substance that will endure for generations, but uh, they are. Well, if you're my age or a little younger or a little older, maybe you can remember some some people when you were younger. If you're younger, you're just going to have to remember some old movies, okay? Um, Man, these people, they have the world on the string. They're good looking. They're fit. They're tan. (laughs) They got a sparkling smile. They're making movies. They got so many digits in their bank account that they lost track. Everybody in the world wants to be like them, so to speak. Man, that's what it's about. That's what it is. You don't see many of those people now, 30 years later. You don't see many of those people anymore. You know why? Because they're ma- ba- mainly they're in hiding. Because they too got old. So what happens to us? Doesn't matter if you're a celebrity. They too lost their health. They, too, have lost relationship after relationship after relationship. They are some of the loneliest people in this world. And when the paparazzi snap them from time to time, you see them and you say, I can't believe that's them. Well, let me tell you something, folks. It is them. Because they couldn't do an end run around God either, and they will die alone. Without Christ. And every digit in that bank account will mean nothing. And every digit in that bank account cannot reform, restore, resuscitate anything close to a life while they are still alive. Because you don't do that. And God bless it. They will be brought to their knees and fall. But we will rise up. That's the truth. If we walk with the Lord humbly, it doesn't matter how much money. You got digits in your bank account, fine, no problem. All all these things, no problem. The question is, who are we going to trust in? We will be like younger David. We'll worship. We'll trust in the Lord. We will walk with God. He will lead us. He will give us his strength. He will make our lives to be what he has ordained for redeemed human lives to be. And it is rich. It is beautiful. It is love. And we will not die alone. And we will wake up in the presence of our Savior when we do die. Worship turns into trust. And hear this. Trust turns into celebration. Did you catch that? We will shout for joy when you are victorious. We'll bring out the banners of the name of the Lord our God. We will triumph. Now, I want to read in the time remaining a Bible story to you. I thought about getting a little chair and sitting down and just sitting down and reading you a Bible story. But I think I'll stay on my feet and read you the Bible story. If you'll turn to 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1. This is a Bible story that people don't talk about a lot. 
In fact, some of you are saying, what is 2 Chronicles 21? 20, verse 1. The Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Munites came together to make war on Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah at that time. That's not one army, folks. That's three armies who have come together to wipe the, the kingdom of Judah off the face of the map and have the chariots to do so. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea, and they are already at En Gedi right now. Look at how Jehoshaphat reacted. Verse 3, alarmed. That's, isn't it great? I love that. God, people of God get alarmed. I do. Alarmed. Jehoshaphat sent people to Egypt to buy chariots. No, 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 no. no. Alarmed. Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And the people of Judah came together to, to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they, they came from every town in Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said before the people, O Lord, God of our fathers... Are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to their descendants of Abraham, your friend? But now... Here are men from Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us for an inheritance. Oh, our God. You notice a pattern here? Oh, our God. Why don't you memorize that? Why don't you start a lot of your prayers this week? Be very, very great. Oh, our God, I need you. Oh, our God, please help me understand what to do. You see, let me go back. Oh, our God, verse 12, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you and all the men of Judah with their wives and their children and the little ones stood there before the Lord and then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel the Levite he said listen King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem this is what the Lord says to you do not be afraid do not be discouraged because of this vast army the battle is not yours but God's Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up the pass of Ziz. I mean, you just love all this information. They'll be climbing up the pass by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge at the desert of Jeriel. And you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Hear these words. Go out and face them tomorrow. And God will be with you. Can I just stop there? Could you internalize that? Me and you both. When you leave this sanctuary, hopefully motivated to just 
want intimacy with God through Jesus, go out and face it tomorrow. For the Lord your God will be with you. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. And all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. And some Levites and some of the, I don't know how to say those people's names, stood up. And they praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in what his prophets have said and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men, listen to this, to sing praise to the Lord, to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out at the head of the army, they sang, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. This was the weapon of mass destruction. The connection between worship and warfare. The connection between worship and trials. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And here's where I want to take you. And after the defeat, remember, worshipers triumph. They celebrate. After the defeat, it says in verse 26, on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barakah. And there they praised the Lord. And that is why to this day it is called the valley of Barakah, which means the blessed praise. And then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem joyfully returned to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them great cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. And there praised the Lord. Verse 5 of our text. We will shout for joy when you are victorious. We will lift up our banners in the name of the Lord. Worship turns to trust and trust eventually turns to triumph and triumph turns to worship let me close by encouraging you about worship one of the great gifts that God has given his dearly loved children is God has commanded us to gather in local communities local assemblies just for the purpose of being together and worshiping the God of heaven and earth. That we might encourage one another in the reality of who he is and the reality of the way the world actually is. That world outside those walls is not the way it appears. Everything gets put to right before the face of our God of glory and grace and private worship. And just wanting to be with God and to play that harp and to call out to God and the the joy of a walk and the security we feel and the confidence that God gives us. Do you know what happened here today? You didn't know it. And in the early service too. There were people who came in here today and, and you're here and you started worshiping. And in worship, you basically were saying this, God, I'm holding on to life, to this thing that I'm going through with everything I've got, but I can't do it without you. There was worship.
today in this house that brokered trust. You couldn't see it because we can't read each other's minds. But I tell you, something else happened today. There were people who walked through those doors right there and sat right here. And when you began to worship, you know what you said? God, you did it. You did it. Thank you so much. I worship you in celebration of what you and your grace have done. Worship turns to trust. Trust turns to triumph, and triumph turns to worship. You know the only difference between heaven and here in worship? It's all triumph. We will be what's called the church triumphant at that time. Let's pray. Lord, turn our hearts to you. Remove the illusions of chariots and horses. Help us to utilize all things in this life under your banner and to your glory. Lord, reach out to those who desperately need to trust praise you for those who are celebrating and we thank you for the fact that you win both now and in the world to come. Amen.